Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 29th day of November, 2013. And today we are reading from the big book. We are on, we're in the forward to the second edition. We're on page XVII, starting with the first full paragraph, hence the two men. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday the 28th, is 5552. 5552. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Margaret Kay if she will please read the 12 steps. Good morning, Monica. This is Margaret. I'm sorry, I had to call back in. I couldn't get through. No problem. Um, Good morning. Okay. One, excuse me, we admitted powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, uh, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to our admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought with prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Margaret. And I will now ask Meg O to please read the 12 Traditions. Meg, can you please read the 12 traditions, star one to unmute? 
Apparently, Meg has an issue. Can someone read the 12 traditions? Melanie, can you read the 12 traditions? This is Margaret. I think I am unmuted. Do you want me to read them? You may, please. Thank you. Thank you. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be excuse me, autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, OA readers anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, OA readers anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction, on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Monica, people may need to call back in because I couldn't unmute either. Okay, thank you. I was thinking there's probably an issue going on. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your commenting to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the forward to the second edition on page XVII. And we are starting with the first full paragraph that begins, Hence the Two Men. And I will ask Hoodie if she can begin reading, please. Hi, Monica. Good morning. This is Hoodie, a recovered compulsive overeater. Hence the two men set to work almost frantically upon alcoholics arriving in the ward of the Akron City Hospital. Their very first case, a desperate one, recovered immediately and became AA number three. He never had another drink. This work at Akron continued through the summer of 1935, there were many failures, but there was an occasional heartening success. 
When the broker returned to New York in the fall of 1935, the first AA group had actually been formed, though no one realized it at the time. And um, again, um, I just wanted to um, share on this. Um, but there was an occasion. There were many failures, but there was an occasional heartening success when the broker returned to New York in the fall of 1935. And it, we just mentioned in the in the on the page before how when and he was greatly in fear that he might start drinking again, he suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. And that is what, as a, spon as a recovered sponsor, as a recovered compulsive overeater, I get to do. I must give this program away um, and let the results to God. No one realized at the time that the first AA group, when he went back to New York, was, um, was formed. And that must, no one realized it. Something happened, and that's what, how we know that, you know, it's God. God is the one that brings success. And later on um, in how it works, that it says on page 62, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. And um, I just had to do my part um, by carrying on the message, carrying the, that, that there is a twofold, uh, that the twofold illness Discuss first about the the physical allergy, and then before I go ahead and introduce about the spiritual program of action, which is the solution, and um, let God do the, His work and make and do the change in the person, um, in the newcomer. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Hoodie. And would anyone like to share on this paragraph? Good morning, Monica. This is Janice. Good morning, Janice. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. My name is Janice. I'm from Massachusetts, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, it says, hence the two men. You know, they set out. They went looking for sponsees, for protégés at the time, and they worked frantically because their life was in danger. If they didn't carry the message, you know, they couldn't keep what they had, and they met their number three. There was two, there was Bill, there was Bob. Now there's Bill D. And the main thing here that I see is the very first case was a desperate one, desperate, desperate, couldn't find a solution, couldn't, didn't know the problem, and um, was powerless, see. And, and that's what desperate was, means to me. It's life-threatening. He was desperate, and that's what we, and that's good. It's good for it's good for us because and for me because if I'm not desperate I'm going to still start going keeping my research up and finding a method and a group and a sponsor you know um, and, and he recovered there's that word again he recovered immediately and became AA member number three and never had another drink now we have to remember Bill and Bob did this without the book there was no book. And this desperate number three alcoholic became recovered. So that's amazing because he got the message from the, you know, Bill and Bob. And if you're interested on page 182, it's an excellent story. These pioneer stories, you know, if when we read them, it's just like listening to a speaker. You know, they they tell their story, what they were like, what happened, and what they became. Wonderful. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph?
Well, this is Monica. I'm just going to add a couple of things there that um, to what Janice said, that this is um, AA number three, and his story is the second story in the back of the book. And just a little more information on this guy. He had been hospitalized eight times in the past, and I think in a period of six months before um, Bill and Dr. Bob came to him. And here he is. They come in, they share their experience, their strength, their hope. They share the disease, their information of the disease with him, and they share the solution. And this man recovers immediately. Pretty awesome. I will pass with that. Is there anybody who would like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This is Kim. Good morning, Kim. Go ahead. Good morning, Monica. Happy day after Thanksgiving, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Grateful to wake up uh, sober, abstinent, and full of the passion for this program after uh, the glutton holiday. Um, hence, these two men set to work almost frantically upon alcoholics arriving in the ward of the Akron Hospital, their very first case. You know, I've been reading a lot about the history, and I actually recently saw a, pr- a play on the history of AA, and this first was the first case in Akron Hospital. This wasn't the first case that they tried. You know, when Bill came to Bob and he was staying in Bob's house, they were bringing people into Ann Smith's house. Um, one gentleman um, tried to kill his wife in their house. They were dragging these drunks in who didn't want to get sober and trying to convince them because they understood that they needed to carry the message. The difference when they went to Akron Hospital was they found this this um, this gentleman and they told him to put him in a private room so that he could be sobered up a little bit because he wasn't going to be open to the solution until he had that moment of clarity. So that's why it's essential that we have the food down. We have to have the food down in order to hear this message. And I like that word frantic. So I looked up what that word frantic means. Frantic means desperate, wild with excitement, passion. Fear, pain. I mean, that's what they were, they were all feeling. They were sober. They had had a spiritual experience. And they understood in order to maintain that, in order to keep it, they were going to have to carry this message. They recognized that was an essential part. So they were desperate to do it. They were wild with excitement and passion because they had found an answer, not a temporary respite, not a way to control their drinking. They had found a solution. And that desperation was born out of fear and out of pain. I think that word frantic is so descriptive of how often we feel when we find this solution. Not just coming into OA, but for me personally, having years in OA, thinking it was only a temporary respite, thinking that I had to to constantly be on guard, like Fred talks about in More Alcoholism. That was my program, Be On Guard, Be On Guard. And when I found the solution... I was frantic going out, and people would roll their eyes at me, and people were like, oh, here she goes again. She's going to get that temporary abstinence, and she's going to go back into the food. So as they became more adept at carrying this message, you're going to see how the fellowship grows. One of my favorite quotes from Dr. Bob is someone asked him, I think like five to ten years into his sobriety, what's different now? And he said, well, I can now say in one hour what it used to to take me six hours to say. They became more efficient at carrying this message as the message became clearer of how they were going to do that. 
you know, one of my, I always pick out certain lines that I love. Right now the one I'm obsessed with is in the 10th step where it says, our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. For me, understanding is to delve into this big book deeper and deeper and deeper. And the effectiveness is, is me questioning how am I carrying this message? Am I saying in six hours what I could really say in one? Am I effectively carrying this message? And this is the beginning of that process. Bill was grabbing people off the bar stools for six months, not being able to carry this message till Dr. Till Dr. Silkworth told him, carry the problem. Let them know what they're suffering from because otherwise they're not going to care what the solution is. He was able to successfully do that with Bob and then they frantically went around in Bob's house and nobody was getting sober until they started to, to hone in how to carry this message. And they went to the Akron Hospital and they found Bill D. And Bill D., because he was desperate and because he had that clarity, because he was coming out of sobriety, he was getting sober, and that, that obsession was going to kick in, he grabbed onto the solution. It's so essential we understand this history because we don't need to repeat it. They found the formula, and all we have to do is duplicate it. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment before we move on? This is Jennifer. This Jennifer, is go ahead. Uh, hi, thanks. Uh, this is Jennifer, a very grateful, recovered, compulsive reader from uh, northern New Jersey. And um, just uh, one little thought that I had, I think I read in the paper something recently that um, – uh, they did like, this scientific experiment. They wanted to see how the efficacy of AA. And so they just randomly assigned people to rehab center to do AA. And they said, oh, well, you know, the success rate isn't that great. And I'm thinking, this program isn't just this magic pill you can force down someone's throat, unfortunately. They have to be willing. <laughs> and so um, you know, this is what um, the, whole, the whole chapter of working with others in this story here that we're reading, it's bringing me the message what I've just recently started sponsoring the last few months and I, you know, I have this wonderful release from the bondage of food and I want other people to have it but I can't I can't force it down their throat I, they have to be willing just as I had to be willing and that's the only you know that that is the prerequisite for this program is is willingness and I can't give that to anyone they have to have it themselves and rereading Bill's experience and the early founders of AA's experience with that just just reminds me of that um, truth about myself and others. And thank you. I'll pass. Thank you. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Judy S. Leah, go ahead. And then Judy, will you please read the next paragraph afterwards? Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much, Monica. Good morning, everyone. I just wanted to do a quick share. What I find with carrying the messages that when other when I start working with others, or even when I make that phone call, then um, I identify with other people, and I remember, and I constantly remember from where I'm coming from, and what I used to all the pain that I used to feel. And when I carry that message, it, re, it reinforces my program, and it makes me only stronger because, yes, I do remember, and I don't want to ever forget what I, where I'm coming from. And um, this is what I take out of that. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Go ahead, Judy F. Would you read the next paragraph, please? 
Yes, thank you, Monica. Good morning, Visions for You. This is Judy F., Compulsive Overeater Recovered in Massachusetts. A second small group promptly took shape at New York to be followed in 1937 with the start of a third at Cleveland. Besides these, there were scattered alcoholics who had picked up the basics in Akron or New York who were trying to form groups in other cities. By late 1937, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholics. And, oh, I just saw so many things in this uh, paragraph. I, I am so grateful to be um, abstinent, sober, and a grateful member of this program, um, even after the high holiday yesterday. And, um, you know, it, I picked out, um, there were scattered alcoholics who had picked up the basic ideas in Akron or New York who were trying to form groups in other cities. And what are the basic ideas? Um, I learned from this book, the basic ideas are, one, I have a grave illness, and it's twofold. It's the allergy of the body. For me, I, um, there's certain substances, trigger foods, that if I pick up, the phenomenon of craving will begin, and I won't be able to stop. Um, and then there's, which renders me powerless, but the greater aspect is that obsession of the mind that would keep getting me back into the food and believing the lies, I would tell myself that this wouldn't, um, you know, it's been a while. I don't, I, I know I can only, I can have one. It doesn't affect me anymore. I don't want it anymore, but I can have just one. Um, there's just so many lies I would tell myself and believe, and that was from my mind. And the, the solution, I tried everything, all sorts of, um, you know, human, uh, with doctors and diet, drugs, anything. Just, I wanted to eat what I wanted and be thin. And then at the end, I just didn't want to pick up and I couldn't do it. No human power and that there is a human power. So these basic ideas brought the membership that a new light had entered the world, the dark world of the alcoholic. And mine was such a dark world. I ended up being just alone in my apartment with the food and shutting everyone out, um, God and, and my family. And this is the truth for me. If, if I pick up, if I don't stay on a spiritual path connected to God daily, that darkness is waiting. But we have a light, and that and I want to be that, that beacon of light for those that are still suffering. Um, and this is the, in the beginning and how it, it just started that, um, and also the substantial sobriety. You know, it wasn't just, putting down the food, um, putting down the alcohol, it was sobriety that could live life on life's terms and not keep going back to the alcohol. And for me, you know, over 22 years, I haven't had the necessity to go back to the food. And with that, I am so grateful. And that thank you to God and thank you to these guests. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning. This is Bella. Can I share? Good morning, Bella. Go ahead. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Monica, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. I love this paragraph, and I will. I pay attention to the last sentence, 
um, a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. And this is the willpower. This is the willpower that we need for this program. And what, my, what means willpower? We are powerless. We are powerless of almost everything. We have only one power. We have the power to make the best choice one, one day at a time. And God is always there. God is always willing to give me the best and the good. The question is, am I willing to accept the, the good that God offers me? So this is, again, the choice. Uh, to enter the dark world. Only when I realize that I am in dark, only when I realize that, oh, the dark is not good for me anymore, then I have a choice to to open the light. And I have to have only the willpower to to open this this light. But the light will be there from God if I am willing to get it. And, and, and when... Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bella. And, uh, and this is my choice, and this is the power that I have. Only when... And I have the choice to realize that it's dark because God is there all the time. The light is there, but when I I realize that it's dark, I will look for the light, and the light is my connection to God, my willpower to find this connection, to build this connection, to to make it better one day at a time. Thank you very much for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. Um, okay, thank you. Janice, compulsive, recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I just want to just make a comment about the dark world, um, and it was and it was very dark at those at that time because these alcoholics could not get better. They would come in the hospital, go out, come in, go out. But see, what gave them substantial sobriety was that they were the idea caught their attention about the message that Bill and Bob brought to this group that they told about the problem, which Silky, Dr. Silkworth, gave them, because they never knew that. See, that was the, that's the bottom line, that, oh, okay, that caught their, his, their attention when they carry the message that we have a twofold illness. See, because, uh, you know, the spirituality, nobody, that, that didn't catch their attention right away because they didn't want to hear about that. They wanted to know what was wrong with them, and they found out. And, you know, it wasn't that they didn't have a good, you know, they didn't have a backbone or they were were weak or, or anything like that. So that was the, the culprit, I believe, and getting, from the, getting out of the dark world into the light of being recovered. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. And Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much, Monica, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Happy to be here. It says, by late 1937, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them 
was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. Um, yes, you know, the program of recovery is results-oriented. And when these men, um, mostly men at that time, um, you know, recovered, meaning they got sober and they stayed sober. They were living proof that some power greater than themselves was restoring them to sanity. You know, that uh, they were being revolutionized. Um, their lives were being transformed by by a power greater than themselves, and that was living proof. It was like a big show-and-tell operation. So um, it was that recovery that was convincing the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. This was something that was working. That's why AA grew by leaps and bounds. They saw results. You know, they saw results that the secret of these steps and principles that they were implementing, it was possible to effectuate such a dramatic change in their character and their values. And that made people take notice. You know, uh, relapse is not a message of hope. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of OA rooms, uh, that's all that's been delivered. The best that we have to offer is, you know, perhaps a temporary respite. These men and women were experiencing salvation. These men and women were experiencing the power of God. These men and women... um were actually seeing the light. They were being brought into the light. You know, you can cry in the darkness or you can light a candle of recovery, and that's exactly what was happening here. People wanted this thing. It was selling like hotcakes. Um, and so AA grew by leaps and bounds because men and women were getting sober, staying sober. Their families were being reunited. Uh, they were being rehabilitated. There was a, a reorder and a renewal to their lives. And then they were able to begin to give back to their community. And the way they were giving back to their community was, of course, manifesting itself in service as the very nature of their transformed selves. So these men and women who were recovered, they became a source of solace and service to their community. And it began to grow from a tiny spark between uh, Dr. Well, between Bill W. and Dr. Bob, and that spiritual chain reaction began to, to grow from city to city. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leia. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Well, this is Monica, and I'm going to comment here for a moment. A new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. You know, before I came into here, my my world seemed extremely dark and narrow. There was no light. There wasn't even any tunnel with any light at the end of it. You know, when you're in that place of a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and nothing is working that's worked before, or even temporarily, and you are desperate, you're scared. Um, there's that. That's a scary, scary place. But then someone comes along with a lantern, a lantern, and it can show you the path in front of you 
and walk along with that lantern and show you the path and give you a chance to walk this path of recovery. And that's what hopefully a vision for you is doing for you all out there that are still feeling very dark and hopeless. We've got lanterns here and we're shining the light on the path and come along on this path of recovery. Great hope I hear here in this this new light had entered the dark world because for these alcoholics, there was no hope. There was no hope. It was considered a moral disease and um, you either ended up dead, in jail, or in a sane asylum. And suddenly, here are these people recovering from the, the um, um, dredges of society type people were recovering. They were staying sober. They were regaining their lives. Wow, what hope. And with that, I will pass. And let's, would anybody else like to comment on this before we move on to the next paragraph? Dana? Did you say Dana or Jana? Dana. Dana. Go ahead, Dana. Yeah. Thank you. Um, my name's Dana. I'm a recovering um, compulsive overeater in Colorado. I have just uh, a, this is my 12th day of abstinence. I just want to share a little bit of experience, strength, and hope with you this morning, and that is that I woke up this morning and I had that usual glum sort of uh, fog in my head, and then I remembered that yesterday was Thanksgiving and I was abstinent. And I have to tell you, my heart actually leapt. I just felt like I was leaping with joy because I had made it through Thanksgiving abstinently thanks to this meeting Thanks to my higher power and thanks to my sponsor. And I, with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Dana. Yeehaw! Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kim, would you read, please? Thanks, Monica. It is now time, the struggling groups thought, to place their message and unique experience before the world. This determination bore fruit in the spring of 1939 by the publication of this volume. The memberships, which had reached about 100 men and women, the fledgling society, which had been nameless, now began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous from the title of its own book. The flying blind period ended, and AA entered a new phase of its pioneering time. Good morning, everyone. Again, it's Kim G. And oh my God, this is—it's so exciting. I mean, this was the beginning of my life. You know, I was born well after 1939, but the publication of this book for Alcoholics Anonymous saved this compulsive overreader when she came in in 1994 because OA would not have existed when I finally knew that the food had beat me to such a pulp I needed to look for another solution besides the food. So this is incredible. And the amazing, amazing thing is in 1939, this book is published. It has had four updates. And this unique message they had has not had to be changed in 78, 79 years. I mean, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, these fledgling groups, these group of 100 compulsive overeaters that was spread over about three cities found this message. They united on how to carry this message, to place their message and their unique experience. Why is it a unique experience? Because if you don't have our disease, you do not understand. You know, for years I beat myself up because I could watch a friend eat half a cup of cake or half a piece of cake, and, I, and, I, and they had this willpower, the willpower to stop. 
and I beat myself up because I didn't have that willpower. What I didn't understand was my friend doesn't have willpower. My friend became satisfied after half a piece of cake the same way when I have a glass of water, I become satisfied and don't finish that glass of water. My unique experience with the disease is I have this allergy to the body that when I ingest certain substances, I become less and less satisfied. And my body demands I have more. I have no choice. But even if I get that willpower and someone else doesn't need, but that I need to keep my food down, I have this obsession of the mind that's going to tell me it's okay. Other people are not tortured by the food. Other people have Thanksgiving dinner and go on with their day. They're not sitting there fantasizing about all the leftovers. The best part of Thanksgiving was not the dinner. It was when I could say, oh, let me help up and and I will clean up after everyone. You guys go in and watch football and I'll clean up because that way I could be alone with the true meaning of Thanksgiving. The food. But the important unique experience that they presented in 1939 was not the disease. The disease had been running rampant through through society for a long time. The unique experience was that they had this disease and now they had a way out. That they had six tenets at the time which developed into our 12 steps that allowed them to walk through an experience, get a connection with a higher power, and then they had that obsession removed and they no longer were tortured by their drink. I can now have a Thanksgiving where I can spend my day in gratitude. I'm mean, 46 years old and I was able to spend my day with two healthy parents when a lot of my friends have lost their parents or have parents that are very ill. You know, I can enjoy that experience versus, oh God, when are they going to get out of here so I can be alone with those leftovers. So this unique message and this unique experience is now in black and white so it doesn't have to be carried word of mouth. They were now able to mail that out to Kansas and to Oregon and to California and eventually to Europe and to South America and to Africa and to Canada. This birth of this program was the birth of my life living on this planet, a unique, I mean, a free woman. And thank you, God, that these men did that. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Katie G. from Boston. Go ahead, Katie. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, and uh, I'm grateful to the day after Thanksgiving, and I'm also grateful to know that for me, today is another day when I would, you know, start my eating if I got through Thanksgiving, and um, I'm grateful that everyone has a unique message to share with me today of, of hope, you know, around, you know, that I don't have to hurt myself, and I don't want to hurt myself today with food in any manner, and I guess what I really wanted to comment on is um, the unique experience and message and the way it's portrayed um, bearing fruit. Um, you know, yeah, like I love the metaphors that everybody was speaking so beautifully of this dark world of the food addict. And when I when I got into a relapse that I couldn't, you know, talk or think my way out of, you know, I had been in program for, for several years and I remember being in bed and having eaten and it was a beautiful sunshiny day and um, I didn't realize that I was shutting the world out and I couldn't the way other people were responding the way non-compulsive overeaters were responding to me it's certainly not their fault but I couldn't 
I couldn't get help from that, you know, like my, my dad who wanted to send me to additional psychiatrists. So I got to continue to play the victim, right? Poor Katie shoving the food in her mouth, you know, and I need more help and hospitalize me. And yeah, I did have to be hospitalized, but I needed a message of depth and weight, a message that said, hey, Katie, you know what? I had this problem and this is what I did. And I will never forget the the women that called me and said, you know, nobody, you know, nobody can, uh, can help you here. I can't, I can't do this for you. But my experience is that when I did this, when I put the food down and when I got into my, you know, the step work and established a relationship with God, I got better. And that glimmer of hope that wasn't shoving some message down my throat that was like, wow, oh my gosh, that woman has integrity and honesty and she looks like she's living a pretty fulfilling life and I'm here and it's 70 degrees out and all I want to do is put the quilt over my head and be placed in a hospital because I don't know what else to do, right? Like later in the book it talks about somebody whose best solution is to go to a deserted barn to die, right? That's my best thinking, like, I, I'm okay now, or, you know, let me go to this deserted barn because I don't know where else to go at this time. And um, I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful for the countless women who called me and, you know, identified as being members of Overeaters Anonymous and sharing that message with me. And I'm, I'm grateful to have a message to share today, you know, that I, um, in my adult life, I've been 228 pounds and 110 pounds, which is just a symptom that I have a disease. I am desperately and life and death allergic to certain substances, and I have a mind that wants me dead. And, you know, the, the most important death that happens is death of self, and the only way that I can do that is by staying abstinent and working the steps. And I'm just so grateful, you know, because my best thinking doesn't cure me. My best thinking says, you know what, Overeaters Anonymous, I don't need a program called Overeaters Anonymous. My ego is a little bit too sensitive for that one, you know, but um, thank God, you know, thank God it's not up to me today. Thank God I know that my best thinking wants me dead and I have to um, stay connected with God and live in 10, 11, and 12 so that I have the privilege of um, being a part of this fellowship today and with that I pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sharon. May I share? Go ahead, Sharon. Thank you, Monica. And I, too, just wanted to say ditto, ditto to what Katie just shared. I am just so grateful uh, to be here today and have been listening to this meeting going into my second year. And it just amazed me on this page how, you know, they went from 1935, there were now three of them, and then in 1937, three groups, two in the Ohio and one in New York, and then, um, you know, a substantial number of people were staying sober, and I just love that uh, a new light entered the dark world of the alcoholic, and that's what we live in, too, that dark world of compulsive overeating and the bondage to food addiction uh, until, uh, and for me, it took so many years to connect the dots with this particular uh, disease of food addiction um, and compulsive overeating. So I am just so grateful to hear all these messages of hope on the line and to wake up this morning clean, sober, and abstinent. And um, and to know that um, these um, <clears throat> men were guided by the 
power of God to begin this uh, movement, if you will, a spiritual movement that has saved the lives of so many people. And um, I am just so grateful to be one of them. And um, so with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. And this is Monica. And um, it was it was now time, the struggling groups thought, to place their message and unique experience before the world. And what was their message? And on the title page of the book here, they give us the message. They tell us what it is. You know, this book is the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. Recovered. They're different from what they were before. The alcohol is no longer an issue. It is no longer a problem. So that's their message, that they have found a way out from this baffling, powerful, killing disease. And with that, I'll pass, and would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Bella. Can I share? Go ahead, Bella. Thank you, Monica. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Monica, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. It was now time the struggle groups, though, to place their message and unique experience for the world. Um, yes, before the program, I was in a struggle, in a struggling mood. I was, I knew I have the power, and I have to show, I have to prove. I was struggling because I wanted to show that I am a winner, that if I am the winner, so somebody has to be the loser. All the time, I was the loser. So I was struggling because it was a power, you know, it was a control powering that I didn't have and I will never have, and it was a struggle. It was me and me and I. It was self center Now, thank God, thank God that I am in the program. My message is no more struggling. My message is I have challenges. I have challenges in life, but I am not alone. I know that I have God with me all the time, and all these challenges are gifts for me to, to build myself up, to build my own strength, to build my connection to God, and I don't have struggle. It's not a power that I, I am looking. You know, it's, 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 yes, I have hard times, and I have hard times because I am human, and it's okay. The program teaches me that, Bella, you are not perfect. You don't know everything. You can ask for help. I am. I can ask help from God. I can ask help from people. I can hear. I can. I. I. I have the willpower to listen for new ideas. How to solve this problem? I am not embarrassed anymore. I am not guilty anymore. That if I have a problem, it's something because of me. I don't feel that I have that I have struggles because. I have to be punished. No, not anymore. I, I have the, the tools. 
how to deal with a problem. I don't have a fear to face reality. I don't have struggles anymore. I have challenges. And I know that every, every single challenge that I have, I know that I am not alone. I, am not, I know that God is with me. And this is my message. This is my unique, my unique experience. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? My name is Sarah. Leah. I think I heard, was it Sarah? Yes. Okay, Sarah and then Leah. Go ahead, um, Sarah. Uh, Good morning. My name is Sarah, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And I am so grateful to be able to say that today. Um, And I think the reason why I've had such struggles with that is because I am a member of another fellowship. But in reading more and... and, um, uh, it's allowed me to see that, um, you know, truly being rid of the obsession and, and working through the nine steps and my gratitude for what God has given me allows me to say that with humility. Well, I just wanted to share on a couple of things. Um, the, the word darkness came into my my mind strongly, so I kind of was, I don't have a big book dictionary as of yet, but I I was just looking through and wanted to share a few places in the big book where it talks about darkness or dark. Um, One of those places is on page 8 in Bill's story, um, where it says, Trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink on Armistice Day, 1934. I was off again. Everyone became resigned to that cer- the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. How dark it is before the dawn. And I guess what I wanted to share on that is, you know, uh, with, with darkness, with, with a storm, and with that um, insidious, obsession and compulsion where we get into the food and we feel like we can't stop and we're in that deep, dark pit. There is a light. There really is a light. And we just have to believe that it's there. It's that hope of the second step. So I just want to share that that is so important. And then on page 152, um, it's such a wonderful poetry that, that this big book has for us. And it's at the start of the, the top of the page. We know our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. He fools himself. Inwardly, he would give anything to have a half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game again, for he isn't happy as about, about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. And I guess the thing I wanted to, you know, then it talks about the jumping off place. And and I guess the thing that I think of in that is that when we are in that deep, dark place and we feel so alone and so isolated, you know, everybody has a higher power that's with them. Even agnostics and atheists have some sense of there being something greater than themselves. And we become so isolated and afraid to trust and afraid to believe, and afraid to connect 
to connect with a higher power, to connect with people. And, and that's why I've stayed in the food in my lifetime. And I'm so grateful, as other people have said, that I had a beautiful Thanksgiving, that I've had so many beautiful miracles happen in my life lately. And, and, and this gift of, of sobriety and of the journey through the steps has saved my life and offered me a life. Because I may have been living, but I was really a dead soul inside when I was in the food, and today I'm not there. And so I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for everybody on this line that offers service, and I would like to offer service as I can in this life, in this meeting, whatever way I can. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much, Monica. It was now time the struggling groups thought to place their message and unique experience before the world. Uh, struggling. You know, it's hard to realize today, but, you know, in the time period that we're speaking about right now, alcoholism was still, alcoholism was still a hush-hush word, <laughs> not to be uttered above a whisper. It was taboo to most people and unknown as a word, you know, to even more. So, you know, how are they going to get this message out there? Also, let's think about it. There's about 100 men and women at this point. Um, can they successfully meet and work together? You know, the, the traditions were not hammered out yet. You know, they had to come to some group decisions about how to um, unfold this, uh, this prize, you know, uh, this message that they had. They had many discussions about how to do that. So it was, it was not easy for them. This was not easy. They, know, they knew a higher power was working in their lives, that they had been restored to sanity. They now had soundness of mind. The greater aspect of the disease had been driven out. They were walking this planet Earth free men and women. <laughs> that was something. But how were they going to place their message and unique experience? But they knew they had to do that. They knew they had a responsibility. You know, and it's not easy. You know, uh, newcomers will use every justification and excuse to be different. Just because something works doesn't mean that everybody wants it. That's the unique uh, aspect about addiction. Only in addiction does the sufferer, when given an opportunity to arrest his illness, say, you know what, <laughs> I'll think about it. They have no enthusiasm for recovery, for the most part. But these men and women who had recovered, who had a spiritual awakening, who had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, were now charged with a responsibility. It was now time. And the responsibility was to carry this message, not a personal opinion, not a personal philosophy, not just any message whatsoever. They had a very specific message to carry, that these steps that they had implemented, these principles that they had implemented and threaded through their lives had done two things. One, it had rid them of the obsession to drink. And number two, it had enabled them uh, to become happily and usefully whole, to be a complete person, perhaps for the first time in their lives, and to be happy. They had been restored to sanity. They had soundness of mind. They had been relieved of the obsession to drink themselves into oblivion. 
And they had a very specific message of depth and weight to carry. And you know what? They were the only ones that could do it. Just like today, recovered compulsive overeaters are a very, very unique group of people. And we have a responsibility and an obligation and a duty. And, of course, it is sheer pleasure to come forward with a message of hope and say that we have recovered and to use that terminology and to not shy away from it because the still-suffering compulsive overeater deserves no less from us. And that would be shortchanging God if we, if we identified ourselves in any other way. So we are equipped with some very, very unique knowledge to help a very unique group of human beings. God has given us the opportunity and gave these early men and women the opportunity to literally avert death in thousands and thousands of people. And that is quite a responsibility and one we take very seriously. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Katie G., can you read a a vision for you, please? I can. Can you hear me, Monica? Yes, I can. Great. This is Katie G., recovered from Boston. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize that we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.